You can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 this morning. It's hard to believe that we're in Colossians 3 already. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the seat back in front of you or under the seat in front of you. Uh, We want you to have a copy of God's Word right in front of you. And uh, and if uh, you don't have a copy permanently, make that yours. Make that your own. We want you to keep it, write your name in it, read it often. So you're opening your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and as you do, I'm going to ask just a few of you uh, to answer this question, uh, where do you live? Now this is not a trick question, this is just a very simple answer. Mike, where do you live? A block away, down, right down the road. A block away, right down the road, okay, all right. Abigail, where do you live? I live in Ephrata. Say it again? Ephrata. Ephrata, Ephrata. So we're coming from a little while, right? All right, Sophia, where do you guys live? Nottingham, right? Okay, so we're getting a we're getting a sense. Classine, where do you live? I just say it's down the road. Just down the road. Okay, so we we come from all around, right? We 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 know intuitively uh, how to answer that question. Where do you live? Uh, where you live is where you find your home. It's where you where you maybe even gain your sense of identity, depending on how transient you are there. Uh, it, it, it's maybe where you where you walk around and you interact. Uh, I personally live here in the town of Quarryville, just a couple houses away from Mike, right? And uh, that's where I put my kids to bed. It's also where I talk to my neighbors. It's where I, uh, living in Quarryville is where I wear my Solanco Golden Mules hat at my kids' soccer games, right? Uh, It's where I talk about Uh, It's the place that I talk about when I'm visiting other people in other places. This is where I live. And no matter where I go, whether I'm in Lancaster or New York State or India, it's still where I live. I asked Abigail where she lives. She's right now in Quarryville. She's alive. But she said, I live in Ephrata, right? Because it's where she lives. But what if I told you that I had an even more true address than the one that the post office names my house. What if I told you that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you and I share that same address? Your address and my address, if you have put your faith in Christ for salvation, is this. It is in Christ, in the state of glory in the heavenly places, in the kingdom of of the beloved Son. That is our spiritual address. If we have turned from our sin and we have trusted in Jesus Christ, our Savior, this is where we live. And that's not just some out there idea analogy that Pastor Ben is trying to get cute with this morning. This is the most real place that you and I get to live Every single day. It is the most important, most irreducible fact about who you are. We just sang it earlier. I am who you say I am. This is the most primary thing about who you are. No matter where you go, no matter what sphere of life you're walking through, your address in Christ is the same. And it must govern your attitudes and your actions and your self-identity wherever you go. We're in a vision through the, or we're in a series in the book of Colossians where our vision is this, that every person would identify and take their next steps in 
Christ. That every person would identify and take their next steps in Christ. And so we've, we've been laying the foundation for that for, for the last several weeks. We, we, we laid the foundation for all of our next steps. That, that the, the gospel is the power for our next steps. That Jesus is the reason for all of our next steps. That the church is our support for our next steps. And then, and then the past few weeks we've been talking about philosophies, human ways of thinking that will get us stuck in our next steps. So now, we're ready to get into what those next steps actually look like. This is the part of Colossians where Paul becomes intensely practical. And so we're going to try to be practical as well, that, that doesn't mean that we're not going to be spiritually minded. It doesn't mean that we're leaving everything that we just studied in the dust. We're going to be applying all of those things to our current walk. And so over the next five weeks uh, from the book of Colossians, we're going to look at five spheres of life through which we all walk in Christ. In the first sermon in this series, I, I casted a vision for the Christian life as this, that we are in Christ, that Jesus is Savior and Lord over all, that there's not one part of our lives that He doesn't rule and reign and that He doesn't save and transform. And so we can look at our lives in these five spheres, uh, but we don't want to think of them as separate, disconnected spheres. Uh, that's, that's what all these little like journey dots are, right? Uh, that, that we walk through life uh, under the authority and in the power and presence of Jesus as, as individuals in our personal walk, right? But also in our families and in our church and in our community and in the world. All of these exist under the authority of Christ. And we're going we're to see all five of these spheres right in the book of Colossians. This is where we got them. And we're going to see that we have distinct roles and responsibilities that Jesus gives us in each sphere that are part of his calling on our lives. If you want to consider what is my calling in Christ, it is the intersection of these five spheres. And it all begins with our own personal walk with Christ, our own transformation in Him, our, our dependence, our devotion, and our delight in Him. We have to have an awareness that we are in Christ, that we then carry through the other spheres. This is our address. It doesn't change no matter where we go. And so as we, we talk about the sphere of our personal walk in Christ today, uh, here's our big idea that I want you to take home. Walk through life with a constant awareness of your resurrection address in Christ. That's how we get after our personal walk. We walk through life with a constant awareness of our resurrection address in Christ. Look down in your Bibles with me at Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes, Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died 
And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We're going to stop there for now. We're going to go all the way to verse 14. uh, But we're we're seeking to walk through life with a constant awareness of of your resurrection address in Christ. And that has to start here. We have to get to know our resurrection address. Get to know your resurrection address. We, We make sure that every child knows their address, right? That's like preschool, kindergarten 101, right? Yet I don't think that we always do the same kind of work for new believers. And I think even people who have been following Jesus a long time, either they never really understood their address or they forget it really often. I know that I can forget my resurrection address. Anybody else with me? Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ. Now, of course, he's making some assumptions about his readers, that they have been raised with Christ. And here Paul is talking about a concept that that we need to get to understand and we need to become more familiar with. It is an applied gospel. So, So for Paul and for us, the gospel is not just a set of facts that are out there about Jesus. That, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again, right? That's true. And, and that is the gospel, right? But for Paul, he more often talks about an applied gospel. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we recognize that we are sinners and that our sins have separated us from God, and, and when we believe that that Jesus is the only Savior and Lord, that He is perfectly God and perfectly man, when we believe that He did die on the cross for our sins and He rose again for our salvation, then we die with Him. That's the applied part, right? our, Our faith is not just, I believe in some facts out there. It's a fundamental transformation of my heart and my life. My identity is changed. My old self dies. And my new self rises again. That's what we call conversion. That's the true definition of spiritual conversion. And we have to gain a sense of this applied gospel or else we will never understand how we are to walk in Jesus Christ. Believer, do you understand what happened to you when you put your faith in Him? You died. Your old identity was severed from you. And you came to life in Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection fundamentally changes you today. And so seek the things that are above, Paul says. Where where is above? Where where, where are we talking about? He says, well, where Christ is. Well, well, where's that? Where is Christ right now? Well, He's seated at the right hand of God. That's where the apostles even witnessed that He went in Acts chapter 1. And then Stephen witnesses it again in Acts chapter 7, I believe. And this makes sense then, that we are to 
seek the things that are above because we are raised with Christ. He ascended to heaven. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that's why the gospel message is that He is Savior and Lord over all. But at the same time, we remained on earth. And so to, to seek the things that are above, we, 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 we actually have to seek them. <laughs> we, we actually have to set our mind there. It, it takes some effort. How, how do we do that? Paul says we set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is really what we've been talking about over the last two weeks. The, the way that we think about God and ourselves and the way in this world that He's created, it, it cannot be shaped by earthly, worldly philosophies. Everybody in the world is trying to figure out the meaning of life. Everybody in the world is trying to figure out why we're here and they're trying to make sense of it and give some sort of earthly explanation over it all. But we are raised with Christ. We have a new perspective, a new understanding, and therefore our thinking, our minds must be shaped by Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. We've died to the old ways of thinking. We are now raised with Him. Listen, the battle for the Christian life is fought in the mind. The battle for the Christian life is fought in the mind. And yet we've said all along, that we're not just talking about replacing one philosophy with another philosophy. Christian growth is, is not just about knowing all of the right facts about God and all of the, the rules and the regulations for Christian living. We replace the, all of the philosophies of this world with a person. With the person of Jesus Christ. We draw near, we find our home in the one who has changed our lives. We died and were raised in him. But here's the mind-blowing reality that Paul says next. He says, when Jesus ascended to heaven, we did not just remain on earth. In a, in a spiritual yet, yet very real sense, we ascended with him. Set your mind on things above, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your spiritual address, like I said earlier, is in Christ, in the state of glory in the heavenly places, in the kingdom of the beloved Son. Understand this, believer. We don't seek the things that are above from a spiritual position of defeat. And being held captive by sin. And fighting for our standing before God. We seek the things that are above from the spiritual position of being above ourselves. We are hidden with Christ in God. You cannot get closer to God than that. In fact, you are so in Christ... That when He appears visibly, when He returns, we will appear with Him in glory. Now when you think about the return of Christ, just think about this. In your mind's eye, where are you typically standing when Christ returns? 
you're on the earth, right? You're on the earth. You envision your, I usually envision myself on the earth, and he's in the clouds, and he's coming toward me, and, and then he calls me to his side, right? He transforms my earthly body. He takes away all, all the sin. And, and listen, I, I think that there's, that's one way to picture this, right? But, but Paul paints a different picture here in Colossians 3. We are so in Christ that when he returns, when he is seen for what he is, then we will appear with him because we are already with him. We are in him. Our our true selves are pictured descending from the heavens in Christ in this sentence. That's when we will be seen for what we truly are. That's the most true thing about you believer. You say, but that's not my day-to-day experience. Exactly. (laughs) That's the whole point of this passage, right? That's why Paul has to command us to seek it, to set our minds on it. Just because it's not our experience does not mean it's not our reality. Just because it's not our experience does not mean it's not our reality. Paul roots all of the spiritual change of the rest of the book of Colossians in this fact right here that Christ is at the right hand of God and we are right there with Him. Believer, do you know your address? Not the street number that you got from the post office, but the one that you get from Jesus when you put your faith in Him. Do you know your resurrection address? And do you consider it the place that you live? Do you have a constant awareness that you are just passing through this earth and that you will appear with Christ in glory? Do you understand that what lasts forever is the relationship that you have to Him and your participation in His kingdom? Do you live there? When Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with Him in glory. He is your life. He is your breath. He is your vitality. Do you live there? If you you don't even know Jesus, then you have no chance of any kind of change in your life that is of eternal value. You must know Christ. If you don't live there, then all you're going to do is spin your wheels trying to do things that you think will change, like rituals and regulations and, and religious experiences, but those things don't change you. Only Christ changes you. And so get to know your resurrection address by setting your mind on things above. Take a tour and see what heaven is like. Understand heaven's atmospheres, its its furnishings, the the posture of its inhabitants. You might ask, well, well, how do I do that? Well, you read his word and you pray and you you gather with his people and you talk about Jesus and you're like, oh, that's just so simple. Yeah. But you do it with the with the mindset of setting your mind on things above. I'll illustrate this with a, a, a picture on the screen here. I call this the abiding stool, right? 
We talked last week about how habits themselves do not change you. Rituals themselves do not change you. And yet, they are very important and very helpful in understanding and getting to know Jesus, right? And and so, what we want is to be able to sit in that place of healthy abiding, right? That's the goal. The the legs themselves are are not the goal If you sit on any one leg, you're going to hurt yourself. You want to sit in the place of healthy abiding. But to hold up that place of healthy abiding, how do we do that? Well, we have some word habits. We actually get to know the Lord in His Word. He speaks to us. We have some prayer habits. We speak to Him. Think of it like breathing. We breathe in His Word. We breathe out our prayers. And then we have some fellowship habits. We, we get together with his church and we, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're going to talk about some of those habits next week. We, we hear from his word. And then we have some evangelism habits. We, we don't leave our, our, our place in Christ when we go out into the world. Instead, we represent him. And that's actually part of how we grow. And that's how we remain in him. And that's how we, we remember our place. That's how we remember our address and I know that that sounds really simplistic. I know that it sounds like the pastor is supposed to tell you to do these things. But it really is the only way to familiarize yourself with your spiritual reality and to get to know your resurrection address. And hear me clearly, I'm not saying that you should re- reduce your spiritual walk to the ritual of Bible reading and prayer and fellowship and All these things. We clarified that last week. I'm not saying that your personal walk with Christ is all about that special time in the day where you have your quiet time with God. That is not what we're talking about when we're talking about making next steps in your personal walk. It will play a role. But it's not the end just to have a quiet time. It's not the end just to go to church more often. I'm saying that our personal walk with Christ is about knowing Him abiding in Him because He is our life. He is where we live. And the habits of prayer and the Word and fellowship and evangelism are the ways that we do that. We have this conversation with God. We we have this walk with God through all the spheres of life. It's not about the habits themselves. It's about the goals that they serve. Abiding in Christ getting to know our spiritual address so that we can live there all day long. Now, now once we get to know our resurrection spiritual address, we're going to begin to see some things in our lives that that don't belong in that space. So look at verses 5 to 11. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. 
Once we get to know our spiritual address, we must then destroy whatever does not belong at our spiritual address. Destroy it. It doesn't belong there. Paul says, put to death, therefore. Because you have been raised with Christ, because your life is hidden with Christ in God, because you will appear with Christ in glory, put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death whatever doesn't belong at the right hand of God. This word is is stronger than just put off. It's destroy. It's annihilate. It's get rid of it. Don't hide it. Don't manage it. Don't keep it as your guilty pet pleasure. Destroy it. It has no place in the heavenly throne room of God. God's wrath is coming on account of these things. And listen, believer, you are not destined for God's wrath. You are going to appear with Him in glory. And so get rid of all that stuff now. Now now this might seem a little bit strange to us, right? Like I thought we already died with Christ and we were raised with Him. Why do we now still need to put something to death? Does that seem a little like Paul's mixing metaphors here or something? But, But we need to understand how Paul thinks about Our current spiritual reality. Go ahead and throw that that graphic up on the screen there. That that we were we were dead in our sin. Right? That was our past. That was where we used to live. These are the things in which we once walked. And and the earthly part of us reigned. Our, Our our sin, our flesh reigned, right? We were slaves to sin. We were controlled by sin. But then we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We turn from our sin and we trust Christ. And we have this new spiritual identity that overshadows everything that we experience here on this earth. It becomes our new present reality. And we are looking forward to this, this future of being raised with Christ, being with Him in glory, this, this perfect, complete, heavenly reality. And yet in the present the, the power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin remains. A lot of times we, we mistake the presence of sin for the power of sin. A lot of times we think that just because this sin is here and because it's hard to deal with, it still has a hold on me. But the presence, the power of sin is broken. The presence of sin still remains. And therefore, we must Destroy it. We must put it to death. Our souls are raised with Him, but our our bodies still walk this dirty, dusty earth. Our, Our hearts still deal with earthly desires. And there will come a day when our lowly bodies are thrown off, when we will be fully glorified, and even the presence of sin is gone from us. And we long for that day by putting to death the things that won't be there, that are still there in our lives right now. And so, what kind of stuff are we talking about, Paul? Well, he gives us two different lists. 
And it's kind of hard to discern in order here. I, I actually looked at like five different commentaries, and they all said something different about the, the makeup of these lists and, and how the order is supposed to go. And, and actually, I think that's kind of the point. It's kind of haphazard. It's hard to discern in order. We don't really think that hard about our sin. We just do it. Sin just kind of happens. It comes out of us. When I look at these lists, I see first a list of sins that are maybe more overt. Maybe. Like they're the ones that we consider like really bad. Look at verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are really bad sins. Of course, we need to put those sins to death. On account of those sins, the wrath of God is coming. You, you, You used to walk in them, but now you must put them all away. But then Paul breaks into another list, a list of what Jerry Bridges calls more respectable sins. Sins that we tend to put up with. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. God's wrath is coming on account of those sins too. We, 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 we used to be at home. We used to, to feel right at home in those sins. But not anymore because we are raised with Christ and we have a new resurrection address. Now, embedded in this section are all all three of these things. Actions, attitudes, and identities that we need to destroy. And and the actions and the attitudes, they're they're all this jumbled up mess. They're just mixed together. Like I said earlier, uh, they they just kind of come out of us. And we don't really think real hard about uh, about the fact that our identity is driving our action and we don't think about how all these things go together, but, but we have some actions, what you can observe. Slander, obscene talk, some forms of sexual immorality you can observe, impu- some forms of impurity, idolatry, those, those things are, are right on the surface. But then there are also some attitudes that are mixed into this list. What motivates the things that you observe? The things that are in your heart that no one can see, anger, Wrath, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And then at the end of that section, we have some identities. Some some things that we believe about ourselves that we think should determine our motivations and our actions. So, So I'm specifically thinking here of verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Paul's saying we're we're not defined by our racial heritage. There's not Greek or Jew. We're not defined by our religious practices. There's not circumcised or uncircumcised. We're not defined by our cultural backgrounds. There's not barbarian or Scythian. We're not defined by our socioeconomic status. There's neither slave nor free. We could add to this list gender like Paul does in Galatians 3.8. There's neither male nor female. Our primary identity as believers is that we are in Christ. 
We're being renewed in knowledge after His image. Our minds are set above on Him as He restores us into the identity for which we were created. That We were being recreated into the image of God. Remember how Adam was created. He was created in the image of God. And what happened when he fell into sin? That image was marred. And who is Christ? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfection of what we are being restored back into. And that is both how and why we must destroy any actions or attitudes or identities that are inconsistent with our new resurrection address. The way that we put these sins to death is by focusing on our true spiritual reality that Christ has accomplished on the cross. We put this earthly sin to death by looking to the one who already destroyed it. And so let me ask you, do you see any of these patterns in your life? I think if we're honest, we we see them creep up again and again. Maybe some of you are caught in habitual patterns of these things. What's keeping you from destroying that? What's keeping you from putting it to death? Whatever the reason you come up with, if you're a believer, it boils down to this. You have not yet seen the inconsistency of these things with your resurrection address. At least not completely. This is why we tolerate our sin. Because we don't see the inconsistency of our sin with our resurrection address. We don't fully grasp how glorious it is to live in Christ and to live above with Him. We, we don't see just how futile and ugly these earthly things are. If we did, we would want to destroy them. And so when you're thinking about next steps in your personal walk, think about these attitudes and actions and identities that need to be destroyed. Think about these lists that Paul talks about. And maybe you've never done that heart work, and today is the day that you need to take these things to Christ and say, I am done with them. I am done entertaining them. I'm done feeding them. I'm done. Maybe you thought that you killed that thing before. That lust, that bitterness, that pride, that idolatry. But it's kind of started showing its ugly head again. Or or you killed one vice only to replace that vice with another. Identify those areas and set out to destroy them. Get your mindset on destroy. Set out to see them for what they are by holding them up against the perfection of God's holiness. Get to the heart of the matter. Don't don't just settle for saying, I'm committing this sin or I'll try harder to not think that heart, that thought. Now consider why you love this sin more than Jesus. Don't just let it happen to you. Get to the heart. Think about why Jesus is really better than your earthly craving or lust that you're holding on to. Starve the sin of its oxygen to breathe. To do this, aim 
all of your daily habits at the heart of what is earthly in you until your desire for it is destroyed. I really believe that we need to be more intentional about the way that we go about our spiritual disciplines as believers. Don't don't just do them to do them. Do them to see Jesus so that you would kill sin and so that you would be more like Him. See your spiritual disciplines as, as a Sherman tank aimed right at the heart of all that is earthly in you. Aim your Bible reading at seeing your sin in all of its ugliness before God and His holiness. Confess your sin and ask God for God's help in defeating these actions as you, as you pray. Ask Him for His help in defeating these attitudes and these identities that do not belong in your heavenly home. Pray, pray specifically. Pray diligently. As you enter into fellowship with other brothers and sisters, ask for prayer from them. Pray for the destruction of these sins. The bottom line is this. Destroy whatever does not belong at your resurrection address. Take it out to the trash pile and burn it. But here's the thing. If we, if we only destroy what doesn't belong, then then what would be left at our resurrection address? Nothing. It would be empty. And so Jesus is clear that we don't just clean up the interior of a house and leave it alone. We need to fill it with the Lord and with His good things. And I don't know about you, but as soon as I empty out my basement, what happens next? It's full of junk again. Unless I only add back what is supposed to be there. And that's what Paul instructs us to do next. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We get to know our resurrection address. We destroy everything that doesn't belong there. Third, we seek out whatever does belong at our resurrection address. Seek out whatever does belong at your resurrection address. Fill your life with the identity attitudes and actions that belong in Christ in the state of glory in the heavenly places in the kingdom of the beloved Son. Notice we we said before that our actions and our attitudes and our identities, they were all kind of jumbled up. We we didn't consider how they worked together. Our identities came last in the list, right? But now, Paul has a nice, neat order to things in which our identity comes first. I think that's very intentional. I think that's important. He establishes our identity first. Whenever we go about our attitudes and our actions without consideration of our identity, we will fall into sinful patterns. But here, Paul says, put on then, what? As God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved. 
That's our identity in Christ. Chosen. I didn't do anything to earn my way here. I didn't pick myself. I wasn't the best player on the team, but God chose me. We sang it earlier. Do you believe it? There's no pride in that statement at all. Because you're not saying, I was chosen because of me. Chose you before the foundations of the earth. Chosen. Holy. Set apart for His purposes. Set apart in purity and in grace. Covered with the righteousness of Christ. And beloved. Oh, do you know how much the Lord loves you? Do you know how much He did while you were still an enemy to make you His child? Do you know that He sent His Son for you because He loved you with an everlasting love, that His love is a love of promises, that His love is a love that does not give up, that does not fail, that does not change, that is not dependent on the quality of the object of the love, but is only dependent upon the source. Believer, you are beloved. Dwell on those identities. Often I'll, I'll give believers who are struggling a, a list of identities that the Bible says, says is true in Christ. And I'll ask, which is the most comforting and which is the hardest to believe? Just go back to like the song that we sang earlier. and uh, you know, All of those, I'm chosen, I'm for, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. What, what's the most comforting and what's the most hardest to believe? And then set your heart on those things. Because our attitudes and our actions flow from our identity. Our identity is what is most true about us, right? And so our attitudes come next. These are the motivations of the heart. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. These are inward character traits that we need to cultivate by setting our minds above. By setting our minds on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. By defining ourselves according to Him and not defining ourselves according to this world and its standards. And out of those act- attitudes flow actions. Notice they're, they're all relational actions. Bearing with one another if we have a complaint against each other. How many times does that happen in the church? In your family? In your community? You bear with people. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. How much did God in Christ forgive you? A whole lot more than you're ever going to have to forgive anyone else. How How does Christ approach you? Through forgiveness, through reconciliation. These are the actions of a believer. But then Paul says, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect 
harmony. And so running through all of our identity and our attitudes and our actions is love. If you look at any virtue list in the Bible, love is either first or last. That's because it's the most important. And it just depends on what Paul is doing with it or, or Peter's doing with it. But love is what binds it all together because God is love. The very heart of his character is to love his children and he wants to produce that same love in his children because we are in him. And our love comes from his heart. We don't love with our own love. We we don't love with our own preferences. We go to the heart of God. We set our minds on him and how he has loved us and then we love with that love like it's overflowing out of a cup. These are the things that are above that Paul was talking about earlier. Seek the things that are above. These are the things that Paul is calling us to seek. These are the things that belong to Jesus. These are His characteristics that flow out of us when we are in Him and when we realize that we are in Him. But we must seek them. We must put them on. Again, to do this, aim all of your habits of abiding, all of your ways of relating to God at putting on these realities. Use your time in the Word to to get to know the heart of God that is described in these verses. If you look at these verses, think about them as the heart of God applied to the believer. Ask Him to give you His heart through prayer. Listen, you are utterly dependent upon him to produce any of this in your life. The answer to this sermon is not go out and love better. The answer to this sermon is not go be a kinder person. No, the answer is to call out to the one who makes you kind because he is kind. Practice these heart attitudes in the fellowship of believers That's where these things work them out. We're going to see that even more next week. Put them on as you you go out into our community and you evangelize the lost. But whatever you do to seek these things, remember this, that they are already yours in Christ. You're not earning them. You're not defeating one level of the Christian life to get to the next level. You are fighting from a place of victory, not just for victory. You've been raised with Christ. He is your life. He is all in all. As it says at the end of verse 11. And when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Believer, this is stated as a guarantee. A definite future reality that shapes your present activities.